But I think the biggest thing for me that separates me from most people and is more of a controversial take is I don't believe in the whole pressure um, concept. Everybody always brings it up in sports. It's one of the words that come up no matter what the sport is, right? Track, hockey, basketball, team sport, individual sport, doesn't matter. Every time you're on a big stage racing top guys or competing against top guys, the word pressure gets brought up. This athlete is under so much pressure tonight. This stage is so bright. How are they going to perform? Personally, I've never bought into it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Shrug This Gravel podcast. I am your host, Nate Reich. Today on episode three, my guest is Austin Ingram, who is a young, up-and-coming Paralympic sprinter competing for Canada. He plays just outside the medals of the 2019 Para World Athletics Championships. He holds blistering PBs of 10.99 and 22.6 in the 100 and 200. We'll talk about his jump into athletics, how pressure affects him, and the current state of the Paralympic movement within Canada, plus much more. Austin, welcome to the Strides with Gravel podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, my man. No problem, buddy. Cool to be on here. I've been waiting for you to do one of these for a while. Kind of figured it was in the works. Perfect, man. Well, uh, to start off, let's just touch on COVID, how it's affected you. How are you doing now? Are you able to be on the track? Yeah, I'm on the track now. Um, that was kind of the one problem being in Ontario, right, as we were in a bit of a hot spot. But... We're on the track now. It was a bit rough at first. It was a lot of circuits for a few weeks, essentially. A few months, sorry. Where it was just repetitive hard circuits, try to keep the conditioning up, and then do some slow stuff for technique. But, you know, physically I'm good now. Mentally I'm good now. There was a couple of weeks back in maybe April or May where I was losing it a bit, but we pulled it together and ready to go. Good, man. That's that's awesome to hear. How's uh, Coach Julie doing? She's doing good now. I think... I think she has stayed act- more active than just about anybody during COVID, to be honest with you. I think she put an Instagram post up one week, and she walked like 100 and something kilometers that week, so she's definitely doing all right. Still coaching me now that we're allowed to have larger gatherings, which has been essential. Geez, <laughs> she's out doing me in mileage, man. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, to kind of get everything started, let's... Do a quick background, how you got started in track and field, and why exactly are you a, a Paralympic athlete? I think that's one thing that, you know, some of the journalism uh, folks don't do uh, so well, in my opinion, is, you know, they don't they don't tell the story behind the athlete. And so uh, for this podcast, I would love to hear kind of the backstory on kind of who you are and how you got here. Yeah, for sure. Um I actually got into track later than some people, I think. I would have been 14. It was my grade 8 year. You know, I always played soccer as a kid. Always was a midfielder, so a lot of running involved in that. And I think that's when people first started to realize that I may have some potential, may have some talent for the sprints. But I kind of avoided track for several years. I didn't really have a reason for it. It was mainly just out of, you know, I grew up in a very small town, 17,000 population now, even less than that back then. So I was kind of, my mentality was, I mean, you're fast in a small town, right? But like, 
know, it's real fun when the big cities come into play. But then grade eight, I finally caved, um, partially because of a dare, partially just to get them off my back, if I'm being honest with you. And then I showed up to the track meet, broke a few county records, and realized that I might have something to do in the sport. And then as soon as I started training, I kind of fell in love with it. <clears throat> as for the Paralympic side, I didn't get into that until quite a bit later. Um, mainly because, as you know, the classification system is interesting. Yeah. But um, after a time, I was classified as a T13 athlete, which essentially means um, that I suffer from a certain amount of visual impairment. So basically, for the visual classes, there's three of them within Paralympic sport. There's T11, there's T12, and there's T13. So T13 is the least amount of impairment. So essentially, I'm visually impaired, but to the least degree I could be to qualify for Paralympic sport, essentially. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I remember the first time we were in, you and I were both in Guelph, and uh, I was seeing you do block starts, and I was like, man, if this kid gets classified, he's going to tear up the scene. I was uh, very surprised with how explosive you were. Man, that feels like so long ago now. Guelph. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, know, man. man. I just, I just remember really not knowing what I was doing at that point. I mean, at that point, beginning of grade 10, I'd only started training, really. I had raced in grade 8, but I didn't start training until the summer between my grade 9 and 10 years. So when I first met you and some of the other guys in Guelph, whew, I've been training like three or four months. But I remember pretty similar impression with you, actually. I was coming out of the start, kind of coasting it. I remember you guys were, I don't know if it was an interval workout or what you guys were doing, but you were just running repetitive laps. And you had done like four or five already, maybe, something like that. And you blew by me, and I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, this guy's four or five laps in, and he's moving. <laughs> <clears throat> That's too funny, dude. That is, that is too funny. So um, I know, at least for me, the transition to the world stage, I just felt like the lights were so bright, and I just felt like I got thrown into it. Um, how was that transition for you? Because I know like it was like, were you going to get classified? You know, it didn't, one classification didn't go necessarily how you wanted it. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, on the world team kicking butt. So uh, how was that transition for you? I think I've actually had the transition, well, aside from the classification drama that is, I think I've had the transition better than a lot of people. But I don't, I think in, the best way I can say it is I'm a mental abnormality, or yeah, mental abnormality in a lot of ways. You know, I, a lot of my mentality is not what is typical. So I think when I got thrown into the world stage, it didn't really feel all that different, if I'm being honest with you. Like I'd raced at big meets before. I know it's not the world championships, right? But like, I've been in some big spots. And I think for me too, because of the classification thing, I mean, I met you in Guelph in 2000 and. 18 I think no 2017 yeah. and then I didn't even get to compete on the world stage until middle of 2019 not because my times weren't there just because it was so hard to get that classification so I think by the time I got that classification I'd had almost two years to mentally prepare myself to do it so it was a little bit different in that way I was very young still 17 when I raced for the first time but I'd have two years to envision that moment over and over and over again in my head. So I think by the time I got there, I was just, 
I just wanted to run at that point. I wasn't, I was so beyond all the lights and everything. It was just, it was time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's go directly to the world, to the world championships. I mean, I was, I remember being really bummed that you weren't at Pan Am's um, because you and I are really buddies. And I remember being super excited that you're on the team for the world, for the, for the world champs. And take me through that semifinal, that final and kind of what you took from that experience and what, how you think you did? Um, I'll share with the semifinals. You know, I always get asked the question, you know, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but a million different events. Were you nervous? How nervous were you before this race? <laughs> before the finals, I can honestly say my nerves were practically non-existent. Before the semifinals, I actually felt myself a little bit, not shaken by the stage or anything like that, but you know, I had some things going on that week that weren't necessarily ideal. And there were some, just some lingering doubts in the back of my mind about some of that stuff. But more than anything, I mean, you know, we were at the Sersha camp, right, to acclimatize for about a week beforehand. And then I didn't even get to run until the end of the World Championships. And that was the second last day. And I actually got to race. Really? Yeah, I've been waiting around for a long time. So by the time I finally got to the semis, it was just like, man, I've waited so long, you know, two years to get here, two weeks of actually being here, like, I can't, I just can't mess this up now. And then that mixed with some lingering stuff in my mind was just made that race pretty nerve-wracking, but went all right. The time wasn't amazing, but it was just a semi. I don't think any of us were really going, you know, completely flat out trying to set amazing times. It was just do what you have to do to make the finals. And then... You know, between the semifinals and the finals, I remember waiting for the moment of nerves to kick in. I was waiting for that adrenaline rush, that moment of doubt, that anything that could have potentially been a mental obstacle, but it never really came. I mean, even during the warm-up, even in the call room, I was remarkably calm before that race, almost abnormally so. Like, there was, there was a moment where we were walking out from call room out to the track and in the line ready to go where I just paused and my thought was almost like should I be this calm is it a good thing that I'm this calm because this is almost I don't want to say creepy it's such a cliche word but it's it's it just feels like I shouldn't be this calm for this race and then so mentally I think I was in a very good spot you know reflecting on it I think mentally I really couldn't have been any better for that finals physically some stuff fell apart um, we went in, you know, all the names were introduced, felt good, set, gun goes off, and in my first six steps, I've already made a fairly critical error when it comes to the start. Two, technically, but one of them is fairly minor. I had a pretty good middle phase to the race, so this is the 100 meters, so between, I'd say, 30 and 75 meters, I think I ran a very good race. It was very smooth, very... Um, technical in tr the transition, but then with 25 meters left, it kind of all fell apart. Um, I made several mistakes. I decided to try to do Usain Bolt and pull some shoulder checks. Decided to do a few things with my arms that weren't ideal, and you know, it cost me. I missed the podium by one one hundredth of a second. You know, it's a tough way to debut on the world stage, but you live or you learn, you move on. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. How was your How was your time? Wasn't it pretty close to a PB for you? Yeah, the time was. I'm not. I've 
said this before, and I think it's the best way to say it. I'm not disappointed with the time. I'm more disappointed with the performance. It was mm-hmm. a fast race, but not a good race. Yep. Yeah, we we definitely have have had those races, and I remember being a little heart heartbroken for you because I knew that uh, I knew that you're right there for that for that medal. And but I think you know you'll have many more opportunities, and um, I'm looking so much forward to you know us being at the Paralympics together, and uh, hopefully in another cycle as well. Hundred percent. Well, I think, you know, like I said, you and I really connect on a personal and a per- professional level. And I really think that's because of our mentality. Um, can you touch on your mentality a little bit and how it contributes to your success? Yeah, it's a very broad scope question, but I can definitely touch on it a bit. Um, when it comes to sport, I think comparing me and you at least, one of the biggest things that I think draws us draws some similarities between us and sport is neither one of us started track in the Paralympic Center. You know, both of us started racing as able bodied guys. So I think that definitely helps. But part of it's for me at least it's like you're racing on the Paralympic scene and the stage is big, the lights are bright, all of this, all of that. But at the end of the day it's like even at the world championship, you know, racing Jason Smith, who in my classification is considered the greatest of all time, but 100-meter record, 200-meter record, seven-time world champion, multiple-time Paralympic champion. But I can look at him even in those moments and go, I've still raced faster, guys. So there's that for me. I know you're the same with your 800s and your 1500s. And But I think the biggest thing for me that separates me from most people and is more of a controversial take is I don't believe in the whole pressure um, concept Everybody always brings it up in sports. It's one of the words that come up no matter what the sport is, right? Track, hockey, basketball, team sport, individual sport, doesn't matter. Every time you're on a big stage racing top guys or competing against top guys, the word pressure gets brought up. This athlete is under so much pressure tonight. This stage is so bright. How are they going to perform? Personally, I've never bought into it. I just I think I'm racing on a 400-meter track. Um, the distance is the same. I'm racing similar guys who I've raced before. I'm not racing anybody who's going to be, you know, who's going to shock me with anything. I know what I'm up against. I've done this before. So to me, the whole pressure thing is 100% a placebo effect. But aside from that, I don't think my mentality is too um, unorthodox. But I definitely have a bit of a hot take with that one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. You know, and it's super funny that, you know, the number one guy in your classification is from Ireland uh, before Worlds. That was the same thing for me. And, you know, Michael McKillop's considered the best Paralympic athlete in my category of all time. And same goes for for the guy in your event as well. And so, uh, you know, I felt like we were both, you know, um, going in there, you know, trying to trying to stir up something and, you know. Show them what we really have. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think I've ever really made that mental comparison. Like, I've I've known about it, but I don't think I've ever even really thought about that. Yeah, both of us racing, you know, Paralympic legends from Ireland. That's that's a really cool comparison, actually. Yeah. No. No. I, I thought it. I thought thought it was really cool. It was our first World Championships, you know, and we were uh, we were really trying to 
to show out for sure. Um, and this is kind of piggybacking on this one. Uh, mindfulness is a super important thing for me. Uh, meditation specifically. Um, do you have a mindfulness practice? Do you work with a sports psych? Um, I do not work with a sports psychologist right now. There's definitely, you know, me and my coach spent, um, I think, about a year going through a variety of things pertaining to mindfulness. Went through several books on the process. Went through several um, research lines on the topic. And it's definitely an important thing, like you said. For me, I know there are many ways to do it. Meditation is one that I haven't really explored yet. I'm not adverse to the idea. It's just something that I haven't really get my feet into yet. But visualization is definitely a big one for me. I think that's one of the biggest ones for me is to be able to, you know, picture what I need to have happen. But also, once I have finished a practice or a race, I need to be able to accurately reflect on that practice and act actively put myself back in the shoes of my past self, whether it be from a few hours ago, a few days ago, months, years, etc. So I think a big thing for me is just being able to visualize everything that needs to happen, but also just knowing exactly or as close to exactly as I possibly can what did happen, what could have happened better, and then the process I need to take to improve. Because, you know, as you're well aware of, if you're not mindful of those things, there can be uh, some definite trouble coming your way. Definitely. When you visualize, uh, do you, are you aware of the things that could go wrong? Because a lot of times, I know in the past, that's what's kind of thrown me off the game. If someone made a move or someone had a great start, um, it kind of threw me off my game a little bit. Uh, do you visualize the things that, that you don't want to happen as well? Yeah, this is a bit of an interesting one where I've heard people do it both ways. Personally, I I don't visualize that happening, but I train for that to happen. Um, so for the World Championships, for example, when I was visualizing that race, I definitely wasn't visualizing having a bad start or somebody getting out ahead of me. But we would do things in practice where if we were doing a block session, I would start, say, 10 meters behind somebody just to have that, you know, like, that feeling of you come out of the blocks and you're immediately behind. Or I'd have something where I would run a bit further than the next person, so I would be a bit more fatigued by the end of my run than they were at the end of theirs. We would physically simulate those things, but for me, I think I think confidence is an extremely important facet of any sport. So for me, I just I think it's very important for myself as well for as well as for other athletes to go in with as much confidence as possible. So to, I think my preferred route to go is visualize the ideal situation, but always prepare for the worst case scenario physically. That way you're ready for any of them. Yeah, no, for sure. And now to look in the future, what are some of your goals for 2021? Um, what are you trying to do on the world stage? Uh, what are you working on? I mean, the big one's Tokyo, assuming this COVID um, nonsense doesn't get in the way of it, you know, with the whole world pandemic. I hope that the second wave does not come. I hope we all, I hope we all take the necessary procedures to avoid that. And you know, best of luck to anybody dealing with that. But assuming that COVID does not um, continue to be rampant within the next year, my goal is definitely the medal in Tokyo. Um, I thought I should have done it in Dubai. If I'm being completely honest with you, I definitely think I had the capability to, but it wasn't my night. So Tokyo. 
I definitely think I'm going to be, you know, I was 17 in Dubai. I'm going to be two years older, which, you know, just let alone the technical development of the age I'm at right now, just the physical development is going to be a huge advantage for me. So keeping both of those things in mind, the goal is definitely to medal in Tokyo, definitely to lower my Canadian record, chop several tenths of a second off of that, and see if I can give Jason a run. You know, I think this might be his last go-around. I really hope it's not, because he's never lost a Paralympic race, and I definitely think if he sticks around long enough for me to hit my prime, that I think that undefeated streak can come to an end. But if 2021's his last race, see if I can get him before he's out. You know, I'd like I'd love to be the one. I have nothing against the guy. He seems like a super genuine, super great guy, but I'd love to be the one X on his resume. Yes, no, 100%. I definitely understand that as... Uh... As you definitely know, um, and so to to switch gears a little bit, um, you know, during COVID, I had a couple laps of lack of motivation, um, and for me, like I always go back to my why. Why am I doing this? What do I want to do with this sport? Um, do you have a process when you might lack motivation? I know you're someone who doesn't lack a lot of motivation, but sometimes I have some um, ebbs and flows within my motivation. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That's definitely a thing. Um, I definitely think. I don't have that problem as much as some people, but everybody has it here and there. There's no person who's going to be perfectly motivated at all times. It's actually pretty similar to yours from what it sounds like, really. it's The first thing is to think, yeah, why am I doing this? You know, I, I have to do this workout today, which is brutal, and part of my mind doesn't want to do this because of thinking, there's no race this year, there's no this, there's no that. But the biggest thing for me is to just step back and, like you said, think, why is that I'm doing this? What do I want out of my life, out of this sport, whatever it is that you're lacking motivation in? Because really it can be of, it can be within your everyday life too, not just within your sport. So whatever it is, the big thing for me is to just take a step back and make sure you know why you're doing this and then to connect how whatever you are not so motivated to do can help you reach that final goal. At least for me. I know different people are motivated by different things, but I've always been an extremely goal-oriented person, so that's another thing for me, is if I have motivation issues due to the fact that you know the long-term goal is so far away, I set almost many goals along the way. So back in March and April, when it was the, all the tracks were closed in Ontario because of COVID, I couldn't really do any actual sprint work. I was confined to circuits my goals shifted a little bit. The long-term goals didn't change. Medal at Tokyo, gold in Paris, 2024, none of that changed. But what changed for me is I started setting goals with what I could control. So if I'm doing a workout where it's 30 minutes, how many reps in the circuit can you do? All right, I'm going to set a very specific goal for today. I'm going to do this many reps at this circuit. Stuff like that. You just need to break it down, right? Like Everybody has their long-term goals. But if you can break it down into smaller chunks and then set goals that way, that helps me a lot in my life. I know I'm just I'm very driven by goals, so whatever you're driven by, just find that and then just internalize how can I use what motivates me to give me the motivation I need to to get through whatever it is I'm going through. Yeah, definitely. You know, sometimes some of those small goals too are almost as important as those big goals because that's what's going to be the stepping stones that actually get you there. The foundations. 
Yes, no, absolutely. And with your goals, do you write them down? Do you, you put them up on your ceiling? Do you put them in your bathroom uh, mirror? Uh, what does that look like? Um, for me, it's more of an internal thing. I think part of that is, you know, just because of the whole vision thing, I think I don't necessarily immediately default to visual cues. But it's also, I've been told from a very young age that I have a very strong memory. So if I set something in my mind, it's definitely going to stick there. You know, mix a strong memory with some ADHD and that's not going to go away. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. And so now let's look at the big, uh, the big picture is, as you know, my big goal is to help inspire and motivate the next generation and as well as help uh, push the Paralympic movement forward. Uh, let's kind of look local within Canada. Um, what do you think we can do to continue a high performance culture within the para-athletics program? Um, do you have any ideas or like, I think Carla is doing a really great job personally. Um, and is there anything you would like to see within our program to keep that high performance culture going? We're definitely in a good spot. Like you said, Carla is definitely doing some great things in the program. Um, you know, you were in this too. We had the pleasure to talk with David Bedford and Dominique Sersha for the world championships. He's the ACCEO. Yep. You got to ask him some questions there. So they're definitely on the right track. A lot of it, you know, for the culture, I think the more that we can get the Paralympic community together is definitely the better. So whether that be through training camps, that would be a big one. Obviously, right now with COVID, it's a little bit of a challenge. But normally, if we can get out to training camps and interact that way, it'll definitely build a culture within the team which will in turn help to motivate the athletes to hopefully, you know, push forward and reach their goals, which will help the sport as a whole, because if we're all reaching the goals we set for ourselves, we're going to get the publicity we're going to get in the public eye. As far as the actual pushing of the Paralympic sport goes outside of the culture, um, it's I've, you've said it many times, and it's very true. There isn't one person that's going to be able to do this, right? It's going to be a collective group of individuals working together to reach that goal. So I think a lot of it is just keep on track, keep on pace, but hopefully hopefully we can get in some spots. I think we're doing some good things with the national championships where, you know, at least for the 100, like my 100 race, the pair of race was right before the senior men's. So there's, you know, the stadium or the uh, track is packed full of people to see Andre de Grasse and Aaron Brown and they can see us race. So Stuff like that definitely helps where if you're going to do a big able-bodied meet within Canada that's going to draw a lot of attention, maybe combine that with the para side as much as possible. That way you can get some more eyes to hear than the other sport as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think our I think the leadership at Athletics Canada is one of the best it's been in a, in a long time. And I think the word uh, authentic is a word that, uh, that I really see within that leadership program because for a long time I just felt like there was so much smoke and mirrors but now I just feel, I mean, David, like you said, he sat down with us, had conversations with us. We could ask him anything we wanted. And we did ask him a lot of tough, tough questions. Do you see that authenticity as well? Yeah, for 100%. And I think, you know, you mentioned culture, right? Which is a huge thing of any team or any movement. You need that culture there. And just having the leadership be authentic is definitely going to push that. And yeah, Carla and David have both done incredible jobs. Like you said, we asked David some really hard questions that day. He answered them. You know, I've emailed David on a few occasions, and he's never slow to respond to emails. He always 
responds to emails with a very high degree of care and a very high degree of punctuality. It's definitely appreciated. Same can be said for Carla. You know, she's the head coach right now. She's always been an absolute joy to work with. So the authenticity the authenticity and the actual care that they put in the movement is definitely something that's going to help us all going forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think David takes criticism really well too. Um, I, don't, I don't know necessarily if I just told him like, hey, you know, back in the day I didn't trust FLX Canada. They did my mom dirty and some of my really good friends dirty. And uh, But I told him like, you are really um, growing that trust back. And now I think he almost has my full trust. And so I think he does a good job of knowing things aren't going to be fixed in a second, uh, that it's not his fault that it, it wasn't great when he took over. But I think that, you know, he's doing a great job of building that trust and communicating really well with us for sure. Yeah. The communication on that end has definitely been a huge plus. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now I have some fun ones. So we have some rapid fire questions. Uh, first off, 100 meters or 200 meters? What's your favorite? 200 meters. Yeah, I figured. Okay, this is a big one. <laughs> Who would win in a 400, you or I? Right now or with training? Uh, with training at like peak form. Love you, buddy, but I'm backing myself every day of the week. Yeah, I would be backing you too. Um, <laughs> favorite place you've traveled? Honorable mention of honor honorable mention of Paris. <laughs> yeah, no, Paris is pretty awesome. Uh, what's your favorite sport off the track to watch? Um, hockey or mixed martial arts. It's a toss up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's one individual outside your family that inspires you the most? Uh, my coach. Uh, three things you cannot live without. Oh boy, um, a track, an iPad, man, I'm a pretty easygoing person, uh, a track, an iPad, and some of my best friends. Yeah, gotcha. Um, if you could meet anyone from history, who would it be? Oh boy, you asked a history nut this question, really? Oh boy, um, anybody from history, who would it be? Hmm. Maybe I've always been fascinated by Greek mythology, so maybe some of the people who lived in that time frame would definitely be interesting for me. But oh, there's so much I could go. There's so many places I could go with that question. Yeah, no, for sure. And so you know, I can't have a podcast with you and not talk uh, MMA. So who's your favorite UFC fighter? Oh, yeah. Oh man, that one. We you can even give me three if you want. All right, I'll give you three. Um, Israel Adesanya is definitely one of the most fun guys to watch right now. Absolutely. You know he's breaking into the sport. Um, I've always loved Dominic Cruz. I think what he does is absolutely mind-boggling. He fights in a way that nobody has ever seen before. Nobody can understand it. And he was one of the people who got me into the sport. And third, I'm gonna say 
I'm going to give an honorable mention to George St. Pierre because he's in fighting right now, so I'm not going to count him. I'm going to cop out, give myself four with that. I'm going to say Jose Aldo. <laughs> Mr. Aldo. Love it. Love it. Had a rough night last night, but... Yes, he did have a rough night. It's the, What they're doing with Fight Island is outstanding. Like It's crazy. It's Unbelievable. It's, man. <laughs> Just the way they... They've done better than any other sports organization through COVID-19. You know, they took their bump right away, but, man, they have powered through that, and they've done things right. They've done things keeping it safe for the athletes, but they have kept right on going, which is incredible. Definitely. And so one of my last questions, I want to pick your brain. I know uh, Aaron Brown is someone I personally really look up to. His dedication, I know that you've met – I think you met him in Paris – um, do you have a story for us about your uh, encounter in Paris? And yeah, I think he's, uh, for me, one of the most inspiring uh, athletes on the circuit right now. I just think he's an overall great guy as well. Yeah, he really, he blew me away in Paris. So it was the day before I was set to race in the final meet of the World Grand Prix in Paris back in late August. And I was there for both the classification and the race. So it was it was the day of classification. I classified in the morning, which was, you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say that was like a mountain off my shoulders. You know, I talked about, I spoke about Greek mythology earlier. If anybody listening to this has any idea about that, I felt like I was Atlas. You just felt the sky off my back. But anyways, um, it was right after, maybe a few hours after getting back from classification. And since the meet was the next day, me and my coach were out somewhere we have a meet the next day we always like to do a very light block session the day before so nothing heavy i'm not running very far at all i'm literally just doing 30 maybe 40 meter excels out of the blocks it's 70 80 percent it's nothing tough it's just feel the blocks feel the track get the motion so i think i'd done one or two and then we were she was going over it was a technical correction of some sort probably my left arm i don't remember and as we were doing that, I had my back turned to who I now know to be Aaron Brown because he was walking. He was just coming into the stadium at that point. And I was wearing one of the Team Canada kits that has the Nike check on the chest, the Canada written across the back. And he had seen the Canada on the back and came up to me. And when me and my coach had finished, she went to walk down to the finish so she could watch me do the start. And Aaron asked me what part of Canada I was from. So I kind of turned around, was like, oh, another Canadian, that's kind of cool. And then I noticed who it was, which was, it was super mind-blowing to me, not just because it was Aaron Brown, one of the top sprinters in the world, the guy who I've really really looked up to, but the fact that he actually approached me. I didn't have to go and approach him. He just, he had no idea who I was, just saw the Canada written on my back and thought he'd be a good guy, come over, say hi, and then even got to do some starts beside him, which was... Yeah, it was definitely a, an amazing way of momentum to ride into the meet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's definitely a guy I always, uh, you know, if I have an idea about social media or something that I want to do, uh, I definitely uh, bounce it off him, and he always messages me back right away. And Yeah, he's just an outstanding dude, absolutely, um, for sure. Yeah, you talked about authenticity. That's the word for me, yeah. Aaron Brown. That is the word for me. He you would never know that he is this international sprinter. You would never know it. He's just the most down-to-earth person you will ever meet. Yes, absolutely. All right, so I have two two last questions for you. Um, where can people find you? What's your social media 
social media handle, um, uh, what platforms are you on? Um, the main one I post on right now is Instagram, um, at Austin A.C. Ingram, all lowercases for the first name, A-U-S-T-I-N-A-C, and then Ingram, I-N-G-R-A-M. Um, I have the same handle on Twitter. I thus far have not used it much. I pretty much just allow my Instagram to cross-post on there, but I'll definitely get posting on there at some point once I... Once I, I just need to break into that platform. So those are the main two for now, but I may I may open up some more avenues soon. We'll see. Yeah, no, for sure. My last question is, I ask everyone this, uh, what do you want your impact to be? And this can be perceived however you want it, on or off the track, or both combined. There's a, we talked about MMA earlier, and a very good quote from somebody who I think you'll know. Chael Sonnen, I think, says it absolutely best. His thing he said is it takes you know a great athlete will look at the big picture of things and say what can i do to help me get to the top of the mountain a true legend of any sport will look at that exact same scenario and say what can i do to further the sport as a whole so if i can be remembered as the guy who just obviously had success on the track went out gave it his all every time you know, the medals, the accolades, all that's fantastic. But if I can be one of the guys remembered as one of the front runners in the Paralympic movement to travel into the mainstream, then I think that's probably the end goal for me.